talk to me. You know, John and uh, James and John are like, inner three, what do you think? I mean, they're having this discussion on who is the greatest. And Jesus tenderly says, you are to serve others. Yes, you will sit at the table, but please put that out of your mind right now. You are to serve others. And then he prepares them. Uh, for the longest time, he said, you don't take, don't take another cloak. Don't take a sword. Don't do that, but now do that. Take your sword because they're going to scatter you. And then he leads them. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Don't compete with one another. Compete together against the forces of evil. And then after the Passover, there's this departure, as was his custom. Fascinating to me, he goes to the Mount of Olives. The only times in the Gospels you see as was his custom, it was Jesus' custom to get away to pray, and it was Jesus' custom to go to church. Those are two good things. If I'm going to model my life after Jesus, it's I need to get alone to talk to my Father more on that in a minute, and I need to be with God's people. That was his custom. And then there are the denials, and I put there on your handout. It wasn't just Peter. Yes, it would be Peter because he's the leader who would be pointed out. But all of them said the same thing. I, Lord, will go with you. Like after arguing about who's the greatest, I'm the strongest. I'll make it to the end. Shouldn't you, if you should go to prison, I'm going with you. I'll die with you. And he says, before the rooster crows tonight, three times, and we'll see that next week, three times you'll deny me. Three times you'll deny me. And every single apostle said the same thing. I'll do it just, I'm I'm better than Peter at that. I'm stronger. I lift more weights. I don't know what they said. That was a little improv. But the idea is that they're all confident in themselves. And Jesus says, oh, just wait. And then in the farewell discourse, fascinating chapters of Scripture there in John 14 through 16. He begins with their emotional state. Do not be troubled. Those are the bookends of 14. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And he says, I tell you, the Spirit's coming, and he will guide you, apostles, into all truth. You will write it. It will be called the rest of the New Testament. And then in 15, by the way, great songs today. If you all were still standing here, you who were singing, I would say, great job. Um, but that, that's my f- new favorite song. Uh, John 15 is kind of the, the chapter we've adopted as this church. Abide in me, love one another, bear witness to the world. It makes good sense. We are followers of Christ, committed to a church, engaged or influencing culture. Um, but that song, Grace Alone, I, I think that should be the song of our church. I don't know what you, I, don't, I just declared it. I don't know what you do with that, but it's, it's a great, great song. And then in 16, the Spirit will work. Your sorrow will become joy. I have overcome the world. In fact, he says, in a little while, you will not see me. But then in a little while, you will see me. It just shows you in the same context, the same phrase can mean two different things. In a little while, i.e. Friday, Saturday, Sunday, you, and then those 50 days later, you will not see me. But then in a little while, you will see me. Well, it's been 2,000 plus years. You think that's why John, for us, wrote at the end of Revelation, Come quickly, Lord Jesus. And then they go into the Garden of Gethsemane, and I end with the high priestly prayer because that's what we're going to look at. But it probably is reversed that Jesus prayed the high priestly prayer, and then he prays these prayers, and then he rebukes the, the men for falling asleep, sleepy leaders. 
Speaking of people who fall asleep during sermons, two things. Make sure you're on the setup team. And number two, I should not bore people with the Word of God. So if you're asleep, tell me and I'll, I'll, I'll deliver it better. But they, he, he rebukes them. How could you sleep? During this time, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And I love that. I reread all of these passages this morning. And what stuck out to me in Jesus' prayer, it, three times he goes and it said he prayed the same thing. Oh, so often I feel like, oh, if I pray the same thing, I'm praying rote and that's wrong. My Savior prayed the same prayer over and over. We can repeat our prayers. It's good to repeat your prayers. And it's good to learn from the one who modeled for us. This is his most extended prayer in the Bible. You have it there in your handout, John 17. You can turn there in your own scriptures or you can watch it. Listen to it from my mouth. Watch it up there. John 17. I'm going to do something a little different today. I'm going to read through the entire prayer. It's that good. Make a few comments and then we're going to come back and kind of break it down. John 17, starting in verse 1, when Jesus had spoken these words, he had just given the farewell discourse in chapters 14 through 16. He lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to whom all you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything you have given me is from you, for I have given them the words that you gave me. And they have received them, and they have come to know the truth. I came from you, and they believe that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world. We're going to have to look at that. But for those you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours and yours are mine. I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world and I'm coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that, you may be, that they may be one even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I've guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I'm coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I've given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. And I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. 
They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in the truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you've given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you and these know that you have sent me. I have made known to them your name And I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. This is the prayer of Jesus. This is our praying God. So I want to ask and answer a few questions today. This is often known, it's maybe even titled in your scriptures, the High Priestly Prayer. And we're going to answer, ask and answer four questions today. Who did Jesus pray to? Who did Jesus pray for? What did Jesus pray for? And why did Jesus pray? And the answer to the first question, who did Jesus pray to? Jesus prayed to God. And he broke it down into two sections, so to speak. When he's talking to his father, He is praying to his ruler, the only true God. That's what it says in verse 3. This is eternal life that they know you, the only true God. He's the only God. Jesus is not into pluralism. He He is not a pluralist. There is one God, the only true God. Jesus is not into myth. He's into reality. He is not a Gnostic. He's into, he is into the only true God. Maybe he's reflecting on Isaiah. He said, I am the Lord and there is no other. Besides me, there are no gods. We are not a polytheistic people. We are monotheistic and we believe in the Trinity of Scripture. And right here in a fascinating prayer, the Son of God prays to his Father. And notice what he calls his father. Twice he just uses the word father. Once he uses holy father. Holy father. And once he uses O oh, righteous father. See, Jesus, not only was he God's unique son, He had the utmost respect for his father. He didn't tip his hat to the man upstairs. In our culture, we think casual 
nature, the casualty of life, is more intimate. There's no more intimate people in the world than the Trinity. And Jesus was not casual with his Heavenly Father. Our culture sees casualty as intimate, and honestly, that's why we've gotten away from some of the things we do in church. But Jesus shows us right here. He treated his Father with the highest respect. Oh, holy Father. Verse 11. Oh, righteous Father. Verse 25. This Holy One, this God who is set apart, this God who is utterly different than you and I. In every way, His ways are not our ways. This holy God is a righteous God. Everything He does is right. Everything He oversees is right. The standard with which we see our life is as if it's in according to God. He is the righteous one. He gives the righteous standards. And you see over and over in verses 6 through 19, your word, the word, your word, the word. Why do we emphasize it? Why are we Eagle Bible Church? Because this is God's true word. This is where you find righteousness. You do not find righteousness in devotionals about this book, though they may approximate it. You don't find it for me, talking to myself in the multitudes of commentaries that I have in my study. You find it right here. And that is why we talk about it every week. That is why you will never see myself or any person from this pulpit, Lord willing, we'll say it with humility, ever teach anything other than the Bible. Because He is a holy Father, He is a righteous Father, and He's given us the truth. That's who Jesus prayed to. Jesus prayed to the only true God. He prayed to His holy and His righteous Father. You can see that if you're a parent. You, want, you, you don't want to be <clears throat> on either end of this. We always fall on, on the two ends of these extremes that, that you become this, you only respect me, there is no intimacy, address me as Father. Bruh. Or over here, you're just your best friend with your kid and they don't have a respect for you. No, what you see in the relationship between God the Father and God the Son is the utmost respect and the utmost intimacy. That is to whom Jesus prayed. Who did Jesus pray for? Jesus prayed for two people. Number one, He prayed for Himself. Have you ever heard a a pious Christian that says, Oh, I never pray for myself. I'm so pious. I only pray for others. If you ever hear that, just say, Wow, my pastor showed me John 17, and Jesus prayed for himself. We should pray for ourselves. Every day we should get up and say, God, help me. God, use me. God, enable me to do what you've called me to do. And we, Lord willing, like Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ, and Christ who was always obedient to the Father, we can say, Father, as I've done right in the past, so do, so enable me to do right in the future. Jesus prays for himself. And then Jesus prays, interestingly enough, for his own. For his own. 
I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world. Did, now, this is in the book of John. Did, did, did John, obviously John, maybe this is a mistake in the Bible. I mean, obviously John missed it. I mean, he, maybe, remember we were talking, he was sleepy. Maybe he was just kind of a little groggy. and his, Maybe he put a knot in there when, when, when he shouldn't have. Did he read that right? I am not praying for the world. That's what it says. Call it scandalous. Call it marvelous. And I'm going to show you two other texts, so don't freak out. But don't run too quickly past that phrase. Oh, obviously that's not, I mean, I mean, I mean yeah, it says it there, but that's not what it means. Then you start doing gymnastics with the text. God, principle, here's the principle. God and Jesus have special concern for their own. Does this mean, and are you hearing from me, never to pray for the lost? No. Luke 23, 24. Father, forgive them, general prayer. They know not what they do. Paul says in Romans 10, My heart's desire and my prayer is for them that they would repent. Those are the only two times. They're general prayers. God and Jesus and we, if we're going to model this right, ought to have special concern for our own. We ought to pray that that God would open doors for us to proclaim the gospel. We ought to pray uh, that when we proclaim uh, the gospel, that God would open hearts because it's God who's the one who saves but we should have special concern for our own as Jesus has special concern for his own. I think that is the best answer to that. But it says what it says. And so we're to pray for opportunities. We're to pray for our lives to be holy. I question, do our, does our prayer list, does our prayer look like Jesus' prayer? He prayed for his apostles in 6 through 19 and he prayed for the us in 20 through 23 and he he interceded for them then and he intercedes for us now romans 8 34 hebrews 7 25 and first john 2 2 he intercedes for us and reading for reading through those passages this morning there was one where jesus said directly to peter satan has requested to sift you like wheat Whoa. First John 2, 2. But if we sin, we have an advocate. We have our own personal counsel. Did you know that, you and I? You don't even have to hire. You don't have to hire an attorney. You've got Jesus. He is your advocate. I, I would be blown away. You know, we, we give Peter a hard time. I identify with him. But, but I wonder what I would do if Jesus came to me and he said, Rumley, Satan... And I just had a conversation, and he wants to take you out. But I prayed for you. And what did he pray for? To remove him from the situation? No. I prayed that your faith would not fail. Oh, I pray with the gentleman in Mark. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. And so he prays for himself. He prays for his own. He prays for them by name before this 
uh, passage, but in this passage, he prays for them and he prays for their mission. And he interceded for them then and he intercedes for us now. He's a praying God. That should blow us away. That should convict us. More on that in a minute. And so Jesus prayed for himself and he prayed for his own. Third question, what did Jesus pray for? You've got about five things in this chapter. Number one, he prayed for glory. He prayed for his Father to be glorified. He prayed for himself to be glorified so that he would bring glory to his Father. It's much like Psalm 67. God, bless us, cause your face to shine upon us that we may be a witness to you. So there's always this connection to God. It's not, God, I need a truck. God, I need a house. God, I need a boat. God, I need tickets to a game. It's a good, pray for it. Pray for all things. I'm not telling you not to pray. But ultimately, Jesus wants God to be glorified. Jesus wants himself to be glorified so that we may see his glory. You mean to tell me he's praying for us so that we may see his glory? Isn't that kind of selfish? Look at verse 24. It says, Father, I desire that they also whom you've given me may be with me where I am to see my glory. If you ever hear me pray that prayer, all of you at the same time, just politely, you don't have to make a big scuttlebutt about it, just politely walk out and just say, we're not going to stand. God, I pray that they may see my glory. Well, that's selfish of Jesus. Well, not really, since he is the standard of righteousness. He can't pray by any other standard. And we do want to see him. Though we have not seen him, one day we will. And we'll rejoice with a joy inexpressible and full of glory. He pray, This glory idea points to his deity. When he says there, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Before the world existed, the Trinity was in perfect harmony. God didn't need to create the world. I don't know how many times I've heard that in my life. Oh, God was lonely, and he needed you, and that's why he created you. Oh, not my God, not the Trinitarian God, the sovereign, powerful one of the universe, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They were getting along just fine without me. But they created the world so that I might see them And then I might long to be in another place. Oh, take us home. He prayed for our mission. Our mission. As you sent me into the world, so I've sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself. I give myself up so that they might be sanctified in truth, so that they might go on mission. Our mission is tied to His glory. And we are going to be in heaven one day. Heaven is for real. And I don't need to read any other books or hear about anybody who has had a near-death experience. I can read my Bible and know for sure that heaven is for real. He also prayed for security. He prayed for the ultimate security right up front. And this is eternal life that they know the one true God and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. I pray that they would be eternally secure, that they would be saved from their sin. And while they're here, I pray that you would keep them from the evil one. Verse 11, Holy Father, keep them. 
Verse 12, while I was with them, I kept them. Verse 15, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them. And oh, what a wonderful passage is Jude. What a wonderful letter where it's basically three shots of this. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called beloved in God the Father, kept for Jesus Christ. You cannot lose your salvation. You're not stronger than Jesus. You're not. And don't do it. Well, he offers it to you and you can run away from him. You're not stronger than Jesus. He's kept you. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. He's kept you. But in the middle of that, he calls us to our responsibility. Keep yourselves in the love of God. You you mean God's absolutely sovereign and I'm absolutely responsible. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. Paul said it like this. I can't, I can't, this is the best verse in the Bible, in my opinion. It's somewhere in there. <laughs> Philippians 1.6. This is my favorite verse. I am sure of this. That's what Paul said. He is certain. Paul is certain. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Praise the Lord. Paul is certain that God did a good work in Judd Rumley's heart and he's going to finish it. Now, does that mean I've got fire assurance and I go live like I want to live? No. That that infuses me, that that gives me the, the, the strength, the power to make it through each day and say, praise the Lord, he began a good work in me. And on those days when I'm not, on those days when I'm fighting the flesh and on the days when I give in and the days when I'm an idiot. You know what? I'll just be out. There's weeks in my life. She can attest to it. Right? Praise the Lord. He who began a good work in me will complete it. I am secure. Oh, that's so terrible that you, somebody would even hold that you could lose to your salvation. How pastoral is that? Come into my study. I'm glad you're here. You may be losing it today. Depends on you. How much have you read? How much have you prayed? How many times have you gone to church? That just doesn't sound very Christ-like. Sounds very workspace. Sounds very legalistic. <clears throat> the glory of God, the glory in His own life, our glory as it's tied to His glory, our security and internal life, and while we're here to be protected, not necessarily from the situation, but to have the faith to go through it, and here's one of my favorite verses had never popped off the page until this week, but now I'm coming to you in these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Jesus was a joyful Savior. For the joy set before Him, He endured the cross. I mean, you tell me I'm enduring the cross, and I'm like, really? Ah, oh, I guess I have to. Not Jesus. He was joyful. That doesn't mean he was always happy, but he was joyful. He was full of joy. And he wanted the same for us. My joy fulfilled in them. That's a great... Just take that verse and say, God, the joy that Jesus had, give it to me because that's what he prayed and I want it too. We of all people... C.S. Lewis said it best. I'm not going to try to quote it because I'd butcher it. And why butcher somebody... It's good work. But he said it best. We should be the most joyful people in the world. 
The world, can, the world is going downhill, but we should be joyful. Hard days, we, could, we can be joyful. Hard times. You know what a great testimony to the community this church is? is because four times we've seen infants die, and it's not without pain. It's not without um, struggle, but there's a joy. There's a confidence. God's using this in my life, and I'm growing from it. That's awkward. I know. You, it sounds like foolishness, but that's what Paul says, because I believe in the gospel. I believe in Jesus, and I want to be full of joy just like him. Glory, security, joy, purity. Oh, this is good. In the world we live in, I'm bringing one up. He's right here. In the world we live in, oh my. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Protect them from this. this the idea there is make them holy in the truth. Keep them pure. I pray that him and my other son and my daughter and all your kids and you and me we would be satisfied in who God's made us to be and we'd be seeking to become more like Jesus. Satisfied in who God's made us to be and seeking to be more like Jesus. Set apart, pursuing Christ. And it's a truth. It's an objective truth outside ourselves. The truth is not relative. And then finally, unity. Today, there's a guy from New Mexico right up the street, preaching the same Bible I do. There is a guy up valley who is a Presbyterian preaching the same Bible. There is a guy right over there who's a Lutheran. I'm sure there's an Assemblies of God pastor in Zambia. I know there's a Baptist church in Ireland. And we're different. The mainline denomination of years ago said, you reformers, when you reform, you'll split off into so many splitters, you'll never keep the truth. That's just not true. It's proved out today. Lutherans, Baptists, Bible churches, Presbyterians, Assemblies of God, all evangelical, all preaching the same truth. Because Jesus prayed this prayer. Did you get that connection? Because Jesus prayed this prayer. I pray that they would be unified. I and them and you and me, that they would become perfectly one. Why? Why unity? Why, why this unity? Just for unity's sake? No, we're diverse within the unity, but it's so that the world would know that you sent me and loved me, even as that you sent me and loved them, even as you have loved me. That we can, we can have different races, we can have different congregations, we can have different styles, and it's all preaching the same gospel. God is holy. Man is sinful. I sinned against God. Jesus died for that sin. And if you repent and turn and believe in Him, you too can have your sins paid for. We're unified under that. Praise the Lord. Glory, security, joy, purity, and unity. That is what Jesus prayed for. Why did Jesus pray? I mean, that's a good question to ask. Why? Why did Jesus Christ pray? I mean, He's the Son of God. I mean, really. Because He wanted to show us, not just as an example, but here's how you live the Christian human life. He was dependent on God and delighted to be with Him. 
the Son of God in His human form depended on the, His Father in prayer to communicate to Him, Oh, how I would never want to say then, Oh, prayer's not that important. The Son of God did it. And He wanted to bring glory to God. You saw that it's all over the first paragraph and all over the last paragraph it's like it's bookended he wanted to bring glory to God and good to the world through his people through his people and so if I were wrapping this up on your one side there it says Jesus in the prayer Jesus in our prayer I would say it like this this is for everybody the Son of God models for the children of God on how we to talk, where we're to talk to our Heavenly Father. The Son of God models to the children of God because He's the unique Son of God. We are God's adopted children how to talk to our Heavenly Father. It is not flippant. It is intimate and respectful. That's for all of us. And that if He had to do it in His human life, we have to do it. And he delighted to do it. We should delight in doing it. That's for all of us. Let me bring it in a little bit, Christian husband. Back up from this. Back up from this just a tad bit. This is the bridegroom praying for his bride. Whoa. Convicting. This is the bridegroom pouring out his soul for the chosen bride. Wow. All of us adopted children should pray to Jesus. Men, this is a high call. And let me just go inside that circle again. Church leaders, this is the most convicting church leaders, those of you who have been trained up, those of you that serve with me on the elder board, this is the chief shepherd modeling how he intercedes for his people. And I was listening to this sermon this week by Dr. Mark Dever at Capitol Hill Baptist Church in Washington, D.C. And he said, I have two, two books that go with me everywhere. He said, number one is my Bible. It's the truth of God's Word. It's, it's what the Holy and Righteous One gives me to live by. It's perfect and without error. And then he said, the other one that I take with me that is most important to him, he has two, Bible, he has two books that are most important to him, his Bible and his church directory. And I was convicted. Because I've done it before in the past. But in the name of freedom or whatever, I get away from it. And I went and picked it back up. And your names are on here. I want to model my shepherding the way Jesus did it and intercede for the ones that I oversee. I would ask anybody that's current leader or desires to be a leader in this church to get real familiar with two books, your Bible 
in the church directory. He's praying for the glory of God and the good of the world because we can't bring good to the world until we do it here. It's a lifetime of study. I've spent one week with it. We should probably spend, I don't know, five weeks on that, cha- that chapter. It's that good. It deals with everything. And we should definitely spend a lifetime of practice with that chapter. <clears throat> because Jesus prayed for us. And did you know that, let's read that prayer again. Jason, go to verse 20 through 23. This is the most encouraging four verses. Really just, let's just do one verse. Outside, I know I said Philippians. I have a tendency to do, you know, say things like that. This, this one is the most important. Philippians is really important. It's my favorite. But this one to me this week was fascinating. So it's not most important. It's just fascinating. Let's read this real slow and then go, wowzers. Because you're living it right now. You're living it. I'm living it. I do not ask for these only, these in the context of the apostles. How do we know that? Because we keep reading. But for also for those who will believe in me through their word. These only, the apostles, were going to write the scriptures, and then you and I are going to come to faith. Now watch this. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe. It does not say those who might believe. Fascinating. We're here today because Jesus prayed that prayer. We're doing the Great Commission, and we should do it with confidence because Jesus prayed that prayer. Here was the most convicting thing I read this week outside of Mark Dever. The Great Commission is not our job to get done. It's Jesus' promise to fulfill. Whoa. Humbling. That's Jesus' prayer, and it's tied to our mission. We exist to bring glory to God. There's that glory language again, and good to the world. That's what we want the world to see. Over and over in 6 through 19, the world does not know them, the world hates them. The world needs to know this. We exist to bring good to, glory to God and good to the world as followers of Christ, committed to a church, influencing culture. You see that in our logo. That, that, that is our logo. Followers of Christ, each and every one of us individually, must have a personal relationship with Jesus. We must go and follow Him. And then we come together as a church committed to a church, loving one another as a witness to the world, all sorts of different personalities, all sorts of different styles, all sorts of different people, red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in His sight, all types of people, young and old, mothers and fathers, kids and adults, singles and marrieds, together, unified around the truth so that the world would know. That the world would know. 
And so that's, that's simply our mission, to declare the gospel and to disciple people. And to know that the Great Commission, Judd, is not your job to do. It is God's promise to fulfill because He said He would. I do not ask for these only, but I ask for those who will believe. I'm going to go share my faith based on that verse because I hear now that Jesus promised and He made a prayer that He's going to answer that. They will believe. Had it said they might believe, I would be less confident. Maybe I should reach out to high school students. Maybe I don't know. They might believe. It says they will believe. Those who are His will believe. That gives me great confidence. Great confidence to leave this place full of joy, excitement, knowing that He began a good work in me. He's going to finish it. And that when I go out and share the gospel, people will believe. Well, what about Jeremiah? Yes, there are people who have Jeremiah ministries that never see a convert. That's one in a book of 66. You probably don't have a Jeremiah ministry, just so you know. Be excited. Jesus prayed to God. Jesus prayed for you. Jesus prayed for glory, security, joy. And Jesus did it because he was dependent on God and desired to be with him. Father, I pray that my prayer life, it has been stoked this week by sitting at the feet of your son and taking in what he's prayed for, for me, what he prayed for everyone in this room who knows the Lord Jesus. I pray that we would be known as a praying people. And Lord, your, your Bible is full of prayers. And they're all wonderful. Pray at this time we would rest in John 17 for a while. And see you glorified as the Son is glorified and as we go on mission for Him. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.